We are Danny and Marcus Delalio, and welcome to Deep Diving Delalios. Okay, so welcome to episode two of Deep Diving with the Delalios. Um, today we're so excited to do Patreon shoutouts. Patreon shoutout. Yeah, if you haven't joined us, join us. We'd like to shout out our number one supporter who's always there for us in this life. Has always been there. Always. Who was one of our first Patreon subscribers, and she, of course, went for the Big D. Yeah, Which is a group of our patrons. Um, Would you like to to tell us who it is? Mom. (laughs) Our mother, Sylvia. Thank you. Um, We would also like to shout out our other mother, our other Patreon mother, uh, Mama Allie. Thank you so much for your support over there. Um, But without further ado... Let's get into what we're talking about today. Last week, we talked about American Airlines Flight 11 and the details involving that, along with what our government knew before 9-11 happened. And spoiler alert, they knew a lot. So if you haven't a looked A lot, in, a lot. A lot, a lot. So if you haven't looked into that, um, make sure that you do. Um, today, we're going to be talking about um, the hijacking of United 175, which for some reason is often ignored when telling the story of September 11th. I know nothing. Really? I, I went into it blind. Because I, fe- I think it's so weird that we always talk about um, Flight 11, because that was the first plane that hit the towers, the North Tower. But we just skip over 175, and oftentimes people skip over American Airlines 77, the one yes. that hit the Pentagon, and then they go straight to United 93, and There's that was the last one. Those are the two. Yeah. I, kind of, I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's the first and the last thing that happened on the day, so those are more easy to remember. First and last. It's almost like, too, they have nicknames, too, because you hear American 11 or Flight 11 and then United 93, you know immediately what yep. those two things are yep. in context. You're Flight 93 and you're like, yep, mm-hmm. I know what that is. So trigger warning, of course, we are about to dive into the events of a hijacking on September 11th. This is an extremely disturbing subject matter, so if you are not prepared to sit and listen to us discuss this or the audio recordings, we will be playing some of those from air traffic control. I think it, it's really tough to listen to, so feel free to skip. Um, But without further ado, let's dive into it. So no one in the White House or traveling with the president was aware that American Airlines had been hijacked when it hit the World Trade Center. The 9-11 Commission found no evidence that it had been reported to any other agency in Washington before 8.46 a.m. when it hit the tower. Nice. Nice. At 466 miles per hour, too. We forgot to put that in in the last episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's horrific. How... I don't under I don't understand. I don't understand how nobody nobody knew about it before that because at that point the military knew about it. Well, they had been trying to get in contact with the military, I guess, but they hadn't gotten through. Mm. So, and then yeah, they said like they there was 5 minutes before it hit that they the military had been alerted there was a hijacking, but I don't know how seriously they took that. At 8:37 and 52 seconds, Boston Center reached NIADS. This was the first notification received by the military at any level that American 11 had been hijacked. All right, Boston Center, TMU, we have a, a problem here. We have a hijacked aircraft headed towards New York, and we need you guys to, we need someone to scramble some S-16s or something up there to help us out. Is this, is this real world or exercise? No, this is not an exercise manifest. Mm. Now, at the time that it made impact, President Bush was arriving at Emma E. Booker Elementary School in Sarasota, Soda, Florida. Yes. So he was there to read to a class and speak to them about education. Before he entered the classroom, his security advisor, who we spoke about last time, Condoleezza Rice, 
would testify that at 8.45 a.m., she told the president first that it was a twin-engine plane, which is what I've always heard she told him, was a twin-engine plane hit the towers. But then she changed it in her testimony and said that she said that it was a commercial airliner that struck the World Trade Center. Twin-engine I mean, the Piper Cherokee has a twin engine. Those things aren't more than like a hundred, uh, maybe a thousand pounds. So like, that's a really big difference. Yes, I know Boeings are also twin engine, <laughs> but there's a really big difference in the sizing of the of an aircraft that yeah. that would qualify as twin engine. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that she changed it. She was like, I first told him it was a twin engine. Then I said a commercial airliner. Because I've always heard the story that he had only heard that it was a, a twin engine and then mm. he went in to speak to the classroom. And then yeah. that's where we get that, that historic moment where um, it, they talk, they tell him, like, yeah. Mr. President. Yeah. Um, so she did say that's all we know for right now, Mr. President. And the White House communication manager, Dan Bartlett, recalled that the president said, the weather must be bad up there or something. And he responded, no, it's a clear day. And it was like a super clear day yes. in New York City. Yeah, any of the footage that you see, there's not a cloud in the sky. No, no, not at all. At that point in time, we, the public, along with the government and with air traffic control, everybody had no idea what was going on. They didn't know if it had been an, an accident. I think American Airlines knew, like, yes, there was a hijacking, but we, they did not know the situation. And at one point in time, air traffic control says later on that morning that they think American 11 is still in the sky. Okay, uh, American Airlines is still airborne. 11, the first guy, he's heading towards Washington. Okay, I think we need to scramble Langley right now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the fighters from Otis and try to chase this guy down if I can find him. Yeah. You sure? Yeah, okay, he's heading towards Langley, or I should say Washington. American 11, the original guy, he's still airborne. We're still getting a... We're getting a position. Got a position? A hijacks on the door, real world. Gotta go. Okay. Foxy, scramble Langley, and towards the Washington area. It's a mess. Wow. It is a mess. So there's confusions about if a what plane hit the tower, was it a commercial airliner? Like no one knows. And at this point in time too, we're all thinking it's an accident. Yeah. We're not thinking it's an attack. A different terminal that morning at Boston Logan Airport than American Airlines 11, because remember they both left Boston Logan yes. um, Airport, the two planes that hit the towers. Um, the hijackers for United 175 were preparing to board their transcontinental flight. It also was a transcontinental flight for that huge explosion. They wanted mm. all of that gallon of jet fuel to hit the building to make the most destruction headed from Boston to Los Angeles. So I find this interesting. At 6.45 that morning, 23-year-old Marwan, so you just to think how young these men were, mm -hmm. Marwan Al-Shahi would call Muhammad Atta, who is the pilot for American 11. So these are the two pilots. One of American 11 and one of United 175. Oh, the 23-year-old was the other pilot. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And these are the only men that know how to fly the plane. Because remember, we talked about muscle hijackers and then the ones that could fly the plane. So leaving a lot up to chance yeah, here. A lot of, lot of chance. Mm -hmm. But they called, I guess, to confirm that the attacks were ready to begin. Probably because of Ada's big day out the day before where he went to Portland, Maine. We still don't know why he went to Portland, Maine. Something I kind of skimmed over in the last episode, but 
people might have noticed because they have the last name, the same last name. Two of the hijackers on flight 11 were brothers. There's Wal al Sharif and Walid al Sharif. It's the same thing on this flight, which I find interesting as well. I know. That is weird. And there's another flight, what we'll talk about, where there's brothers. So there, a lot of these men are related. That's really weird. Isn't that interesting? That is a very interesting uh, little quinky dink there. When we do our episode on the hijackers and diving into the training and everything else, um, we're going to see that there was um, some relation as well to the terrorists that pulled off the original yeah, uh, the, bombing, the bombing at the World Trade Center in the 90s. But Ahmed Al-Ghamdi and Hamza were brothers, and I am so sorry for any mispronunciation. But to reiterate how young these men were, Ahmed was 22 and Hamza was just 20. Wow. Wow, just 20? Just 20. And he's got like a baby face and everything when you see photos of him. Man. Isn't that wild? So Hamza would purchase his one-way ticket for Flight 175 on August 29th. And then the next day he bought like the identical ticket for his brother. Which kind of like makes me... I don't know. I couldn't imagine buying something like this for you. Yeah, that's weird. I Yeah. Like I, I know they think they're on this holy mission... And they're going off to a better uh, place. Like martyrdom is the yeah. highest, you know. Yeah. But I just, I, oh, I couldn't imagine. Yeah, with a, I mean, yeah, with a lot of religions, it is martyrdom is is the big, that's like a really big thing. Um, but yeah, that's sealing not only your fate but your brother's fate as well mm-hmm. would be like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> it kind of makes my skin weird a little bit, you know. So just like Ada, Ahmed checked two bags. <laughs> Where's is that? <laughs> they didn't know until they all got on the plane. I don't understand why they, unless, okay, the only thing that makes sense to me is there was stuff that they didn't want people to find, like our government to find. And so that's why they checked the bags thinking that when the planes hit the towers, everything would be destroyed. But even still, I mean, there's a, like, there's a, a more, I don't know, there's a better way to do, just burn everything. Yeah. So, like, you're, like, take the first flight. They were up in Maine. There is an endless abundance of wilderness you can just walk into and light stuff on fire and nobody is the wiser. Personal experience. (laughs) Lived in New Brunswick, Canada and was able to, across the border from Maine, was able to walk into the wilderness constantly. No one cares what you do in the woods. So, like, what was the big... Like, oh, yeah, let's check these bags. Or maybe it was to avoid suspicion. That's the only other thing I can think of is, was it to avoid suspicion? But then I think about all of the people that I yeah, know. Yeah, like we travel don't... without check luggage all the time. I The last flight I took, I didn't have any check luggage. So according to the United Airlines ticket agent, the two brothers also looked as though they didn't fly normally because when they approached her at the ticket desk, they were trying to buy another ticket for the flight, even though they already had acquired their tickets. Okay. And she also had to go over standard security questions with them that they didn't seem to comprehend. And she had to kind of reiterate things with them a couple of times. This doesn't seem like it was very well planned. But it, like, yet it, it was. Does, like, know. that's the crazy thing. <laughs> it's This is wild to me. This is, is absolutely wild. insane. So also preparing to board United 175 was the Hanson family, who were headed to Disneyland and to visit family. Along with their two-year-old daughter, Christine, it was her first time on an airplane, and she would be the youngest person to die on 9-11. Really? Really. So United 175 takes off at 8.14 a.m., right as American Airlines 11 is being hijacked. 
man, that's cutting it like that is cutting it so close. Like is all it, of that is cutting it so close. It was supposed to leave at eight a.m. So all of these flights were supposed to leave at the same time, but we'll come to find out there were delays like along the way, and especially with United ninety three. Wow. United 175 had 51 passengers, nine crew members, and five hijackers on board. So while in the sky, there's a few eerie things that happened to United 175 that just isn't really talked about a lot that gave me chills when researching this episode. Like, really weird. So first things first, they were asked to spot American 11 at one point during their travels by air traffic control because air traffic control couldn't get a read of where they were because they turned their transponder off. Wow. So they were trying to physically locate the other hijacked plane, the pilots were, and give them the coordinates. Okay, United 175, do you have them at 12 o'clock now in 5, 10 miles? Uh, affirmative, we have them uh, about 20, yeah, about 29, 28,000. Okay, thank you. At 8.42, United 175 would make their final communication with air traffic control reporting a quote-unquote suspicious transmission that they had heard during takeoff from another airplane, and we know that that's from American Airlines Flight 11. New York, United 175, have you? United 175, go ahead. Uh, we figured we'd wait to go to your center. Um, we heard a suspicious transmission uh, on our departure out of Boston. Kingston 93 line. Go ahead. A United 175 just came on my frequency and he said that they heard a suspicious uh, transmission when they were leaving Boston. Oh, yeah? Of everybody stay in their seat. That's what they heard is a suspicious transmission. And that's their last transmission, and it's believed that within the next four minutes they were hijacked. Holy cow. Yes. Once again, everything it's so everything happened so quickly. So fast. And yeah. this plane, it's so fast. So they believe that the hijacking took place between 8.42 and 8.46, according to the 9-11 Commission, okay? And they would crash into the World Trade Center at 9.03. So think about how they would have had to take over the plane, turn it towards Manhattan, and they had an angle to that plane when they impacted that tower. This happened, this hijacking happened so quickly. Yeah, they were a little bit more, it, 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 like, it almost felt like they were better prepared than the ones of 90, 93, or not 93, 11. Maybe. Like, that. that's almost what it felt like, is that, because those other guys, they were accidentally contacting the tower. Mm-hmm. Um, they were having a conversation with the tower. They didn't know that it wasn't the people in the back that they were talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, was there anybody on this flight that was able to reach out like they were in yes there yeah, was we're gonna get okay. into that it's okay. hor- this this is some of the most disturbing and upsetting content like i've researched so far in this this is this was a hard one i sat and cried over this one this was really rough just like american 11 they use mace knives believed to be box cutters and the threat of a bomb to keep everyone they moved everyone to the back of the plane just like american mm. 11 um, it's believed that the two brothers that we talked about earlier pushed the passengers and crew to the back, while two of the other hijackers killed the pilots, and then Marwin took over as a pilot. So by 8.51, air traffic control was monitoring United 175 when they knew something was wrong with them because they'd stopped responding to them. By 8.53, they contacted another controller and said, we may have a hijacking. 
So they're aware. United is now aware. Now keep in mind, United and American are kind of two separate entities. Um, but they're, And I wonder if they did that on purpose too as we look through it. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Spread it out, spread it out a bunch of different companies, um, and different which, airports too. Yeah. Where they, this is the only one where two took off at the same the same spot. And of which those companies, mm-hmm. they still don't like each other, so they wouldn't be liable to share hazardous information, information like that. Although air traffic control can hear like yeah, across yeah, the board. Yeah. Another commercial aircraft in the vicinity radioed reports over the radio of a commuter plane hitting the World Trade Center. The meter started to hand off flights on his scope, moving aircraft out of the path of United 175 because it had changed changed positions completely. So they Yikes. know, okay, it's being hijacked, it's moving, and we've got to get people out of the way. Mm-hmm. So during this time, flight attendants would call and report that the pilots, along with several of the members of the crew, had been killed during um, in the takeover of the cabin. And these calls were made from the rear of the plane. Unlike American 11, these passengers knew that they were in trouble. At 8.52, Lee Hansen would receive a call from his son, Peter, who was on board. This was Christine's father. Mm. He said, I think they've taken over the cockpit. An attendant has been stabbed and someone else up front may have been killed. The plane is making strange moves. Call United Airlines. Tell them it's flight 175, Boston to LA. Lee immediately called the Easton Police Department. The Hansen family were originally seated in row 19, C, D, and E, but Peter's phone call to his father had been made by, from a phone in the seat of 30E. So they'd been okay. totally pushed to the back. Yeah. At 8.52, a male flight attendant called the United office in San Francisco, reaching Mark. Now, this flight attendant reported that they had been hijacked, both pilots had been killed, and a flight attendant had been stabbed, and hijackers were probably flight, flying the plane. Now, we know that that's a lot different than the history of hijackings has showed us from our first episode. Mm-hmm. Now, this call lasted about two minutes, after which Mark and a colleague tried unsuccessfully to contact the cockpit. They were trying to reach them and see if everything was normal or not and what was going on. See if they could, like, meet any demands, anything like that, probably. Yeah, because that was what it used to be, was meeting... It was a hostage situation, not a suicide mission. Mm -hmm. There was a point in time, too, as they were headed towards Manhattan, that United 175 almost hit another plane, like, collided entirely. They came within 300 feet. Oh, wow. You'd feel that. If you were on that other plane, you would feel that. So I I took off from um, OKC... and uh, right before we took off, these two uh, F-16s took off about 500 feet away from us. And I didn't know the interior of the plane could warp that much. Oh, really? And, like, everything vibrated. Um, things were getting knocked loose and everything. Everything got really dusty, too. Because uh, behind all those panels, you know, uh-huh. they're not airtight inside. Um, so there's, like, a lot of dust that built up. But, yeah, you would, you would definitely feel that. I will say, so there was a flight um, that I took just last year where the plane did that. Yeah. It was horrifying. Yeah. I messaged you about it. Yes, I you hate did. <laughs> I hate flying. And and this wasn't a turbulence boom. This was a jolt, like a a huge jolt. And I actually I, I sat there for a minute and sipped my wine and then I thought, no, I need to know what that was because it wasn't turbulence. So I called a flight attendant over and she said, Oh yeah, don't worry about it. We just came too close to another airplane. And I was like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So they almost hit Delta 2315, a flight number that's still in operation, which I thought was interesting because all of these other flight numbers have been discontinued. Mm. Like you will not ever get on an American Airlines Flight 11 because it was discontinued from the attacks. So I do find that interesting. Obviously, they didn't collide with them. And I this incident does make me wonder if they had collided. Would, would the South Tower have fallen? Yes. Yeah. And would like the casualties have been as bad as they were because they were flying over New Jersey, New York airspace during that time. So there would have been a lot of people probably underneath them. Mm. And of course, at this point in time, when they almost collide together, air traffic control has lost total communication with yeah. United 175. So they are frantically calling um, Delta 2315 to take evasive action and avoid the crash. Delta 2315, Delta 2315 turn left immediately to a heading of 200. Roger, traffic 1 o'clock, 10 miles, turning into your face, descending out of 31. It's a hijacked aircraft. We don't know what he's doing. 2315. U.S. Air 542, turn left, heading 200. 200, yes, sir, 542. 50, Mike Juliet, maintain flight level 210. Delta 2315, the traffic is now at your... Well, if you're heading on the 200, heading is about your 2 o'clock... And about seven, uh, looks like 30.6 descending. Uh, we have him in sight, sir. Delta 2315, Roger. Uh, yeah, he's in sight. Okay, you can maneuver as necessary to avoid that aircraft, sir. I do not know what he's doing. Delta 2315, any evasive action you need to take is approved. Delta 2315, can you tell me what kind of aircraft it is and whose company's? Delta 2315, can you tell me what kind of aircraft it is and whose company? Uh, he's going behind us, sir. I'm going to try to get a good look at him. Delta 2315. Yes, sir. 542, you see him there at 12 o'clock and 5 eastbound, 28 and 8. Affirmative. We got an RA on it. We're at level 1 here. Okay, you can, uh, yes, sir. 542, we're heading at 290 now. Radar vectors for your climb. 290, yes, sir. 542. Delta 2315, he's behind you now. You can turn right to heading at 280 and join the airway. Uh, yes, sir. I uh, didn't get a good look at him, but it was a darker face game. Okay, yes, sir. 542, can you tell who he is? Is that the guy that was right ahead of us? Yes, it is. Looks like a tail there, find a thing. To hear from radio or from air traffic control, whatever evasive action you need to take is permitted. For a commercial airliner, that's is huge. ridiculous. That's terrifying. The, the second that word comes out of your uh, controller's mouth, you're like panicking at that point. But I'm glad 2315 made it. Oh, but, gosh. Yeah. And I'll, so I have an uh, article that I read um, from another air traffic controller, Kurt Applegate, and he said, God, I heard stuff from him, the other controller, that I didn't think I'd ever hear in my career, ever. And mm. he said, that's something you hear in the movies, not on the job. Yeah. So he said it was a terrifying moment just to watch two airplanes miss by less than, I think it was 200 feet. And yeah, they were like, they were on a collision course. They would almost hit another aircraft on their descent into New York. Mm -hmm. it's, it's wild. 
and because they couldn't get control, they couldn't get any read on where United 175 was, so they were just trying to move people out of their path as quickly as they could. At 8.55, the controller in charge notified a New York Center manager that she believed that United 175 had been hijacked. The manager tried to notify the regional managers, but was told that they were discussing a hijacked aircraft, presumably American 11, and refused to be disturbed. <laughs> Dope. Dope. Nice. I get it. I get it. But at the same time, like, you have new information mm. that there might be something else going on. Yeah. So in the minutes before United 175 made impact with the South Tower, at 8.59, passenger Brian David Sweeney attempted to call his wife, Julie, and only got her messaging machine. Jules, this is Brian. Uh, on an airplane that's been hijacked. Things will go well. It's not good. I just want you to know it's absolutely fuck you. I want you to do good. So have to time. Like the I'll see you when you get here that like kills me. So he also then called his mother who answered. He told her his plane had been hijacked and they were all thinking of storming the cockpit to take control of the flight. Yeah. It's just like United ninety three. Mm-hmm. But it was too late, and at 9 o'clock, Lee Hansen received a second phone call from his son, Peter. Peter said, it's getting bad, Dad. A stewardess was stabbed. They seem to have knives and mace. They said they have a bomb. It's getting really bad on the plane. Passengers are throwing up and getting sick. The plane is making jerky movements. I don't think the pilot is flying the plane. I think we're going down. I think they intend to go to Chicago or someplace and fly it into a building. Don't worry, Dad. If it happens, it'll be really fast. My God, my God. The call ended abruptly before it cut off. Lee Hansen heard a woman scream. Lee turned on his TV just in time to see the second plane hit the South Tower. Holy. And their descent into New York is wild to watch because he, he is flying. on a yeah, diagonal mission into that tower. So And he flew into that tower at over 500 miles per hour. Holy cow. So at 9.01 before impact, a manager from New York Center contacted the command center in Herdon, Virginia. Triple, you know, do you know if anyone down there has done any coordination to scramble uh, fighter type airplanes? Do you think there are planes in there? No, we have several situations going on here. It's uh, escalating big, big time. And we need to get the military involved with us. Well, what's going on? Just get me somebody who has the authority to get military in the air now. All right. I'll go tell them. Hey, can you look out your window right now? Yeah. Can you can you see God about 4,000 feet, about 5 east of airport right now? Looks like he's... Yeah, I see him. You see God? Is he descending for the building also? He's descending really quick, too, yeah. Well, that's... 2,500 feet now. He just dropped 800 feet in like, a, like one, one sweep. That's, that's another situation. Ooh, what kind of airplane is that? Can you guys tell? I don't know. I'll read it out in a minute. Another one just hit the building. Wow. Wow. Another one just hit it hard. Another one just hit the world site. The whole building just uh, came apart. Oh, Holy smokes. All right, I guess you guys can be busy. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely no idea what's going on. No. No. No idea. We had no idea. At 9.03, United 175 crashed into the South Tower. It smashed through the 75th to the 85th floors. 
at over 500 miles per hour, killing everyone on board instantly and an unknown number of people inside of the tower. Now, unlike what happened with Flight 11 in the North Tower, there was one stairwell that remained open, so the people weren't trapped above the impact. It was stairwell A, so it was passable. Now, on the ground, Vice President Dick Cheney had just sat down for a meeting at the White House when his assistant told him to turn on the TV because a plane had struck the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And when he turned on his TV, he saw the second plane hit the second building. To bring the mood up a little bit. Yes, please. (laughs) Our last episode on Flight 11. This is such a heavy one. Um, Yeah. Our last episode on Flight 11, we had a whole clip that was totally deleted by our wonderful camera that's garbage. Um, (laughs) Please don't shut down on us. Yes. Um, It had a whole clip where Marcus talked about um, what Dick Cheney is probably most famous for. Did you want to talk about that? Oh, yes. Dick Cheney. (laughs) So Dick Cheney, of course, vice president. um, At that time. At that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's no longer vice president. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) I know, right? They don't keep him around like an advisor, you know, but like with a staff or something. No. um, So he was really avid into upland game hunting. um, And uh, it turns out that on my birthday in 2008, I believe it was 2008. Let me double check that, that date. Dick Cheney. It was so funny when he found out it was on his birthday because he Googled it the last time too and he was like, hot dog, that was my birthday. <laughs> it was 2006, February the 11th, 2006. Uh, he shot a, um, a Texas attorney uh, with a 28 gauge. So last time I did get it wrong because I said 20 gauge. Um, oh. But both of which are remarkably survivable, but he did shoot him in the face. Oh. So permanent disfigurement, but you know. Oh, that was awful. You know. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Vice president almost killed an attorney. That, that was crazy. That, that was, was crazy. Yep. Oh, I had no idea what it meant. Because I remember hearing about it when I was a kid. I never connected that it was my birthday, though. I remember hearing about it. And then, um, yeah, literally, like, last week, it was like, that was my birthday. So, anyways. Anyways. So, meanwhile, while all this is happening in Sarasota, Florida, a Navy captain who was acting as a security advisor for the president's Florida trip... He approached the White House, not the wife, the White House Chief of Staff, Andrew Card, and said, oh my God, another plane hit the other tower. So that was, this is going to be when that historic video and photo of Andrew Card leaning over to tell the president, a second plane has hit the second tower, America's under attack was snapped. So that, and and President Bush has been so criticized for his response um, across the board. There's some people that think what he did was completely correct. There's others that think that he should have acted in a faster manner. I'm unsure. However, I can tell you, like, I don't know how I feel about it because he is the only person that can give, uh, like, advice to shoot down a plane or something. Yeah, he's the only person, if it's in U.S. airspace, to actually command, hey, that needs to go down right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard because at that point in time, we know, like Andrew Card said, we are under attack. That When that second plane made impact with the tower, that was when globally we realized there is an attack on U.S. soil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is not an accident anymore. There's a second plane. Yeah. And it's, yeah, whether you think that he should have acted quickly or not, um, his speeches in, in the later days uh, 
will kind of clarify why he didn't act. Well, I will say at the time, okay, so there was a later interview that was done. It was kind of like an oral history um, between all these men that were dealing with the president on that trip. Um, Ari Flesher, the White House press secretary, would later say that he took out his legal pad immediately upon hearing that the second plane had struck the second tower, and he wrote, don't say anything yet, and he Mm -hmm. got himself in a position where he was back to the press Mm -hmm. and put it up, because they said at that point in time, beepers were going off, because remember back then we didn't have our smartphones or anything, but people's beepers, the press is there, they're hearing that we are under attack. So the president did give him a nod as if he understood that. Now, Carl Rove, the White House senior advisor, when the president walked back into the staff hold, he said that the president said, we're at war. Give me the FBI and the vice president. Now, there's going to be a lot brought up about there will be an order at one point um, during the time of the hijacking of United 93 that we'll get into when we go through that episode. There was an order given out that the military had the right to shoot down commercial aircrafts Mm. if they believed that they were hijacked that day. It is under debate of what is true and what is not true as to who gave that order. Because the President of the United States is the only one that should give that order, yet it was given by President or Vice President Dick Cheney. And it seems like there's a little bit of lying going on because Vice President Dick Cheney said he did it under the President's advisement. But there's no record of a phone call that the president advised him. And, I mean, I don't doubt that he would have given that order. Like, that was an order yeah. that we would have to. There's a clip that I'll try to find in play where they, they say, like, are we are we going to start talking about shooting these airplanes down? And the guy's like, what do you what do you mean? Like, it's it, it's absolutely shocking. But, like, what were we supposed to do, mm-hmm. you know, in this, in this situation? Hi, uh, they're pulling Jeff away to talk about United 93. Uh, do we want to think about uh, scrambling aircraft? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, That's a decision somebody's going to have to make probably in the next 10 minutes. Uh, You know, everybody just left the room. But actually, I was shocked we found out today that um, President Bush would make his first address about 9-11 from the Emma E. Booker Elementary School. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a difficult moment for America. I um, unfortunately will be going back to Washington after my remarks. Secretary Rod Page, the Lieutenant Governor, will take the podium to discuss education. I do want to thank the folks here at, uh, at the Booker Elementary School for their hospitality. Uh, today we've had a national tragedy. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. I have spoken to the Vice President, to the Governor of New York, to the Director of the FBI, and have ordered that the full resources of the federal government go to help the victims and their families and and to conduct a full-scale investigation to hunt down and to find those folks committed this act. Terrorism against our nation will not stand. And now if you join me in a moment of silence. May God bless the victims, their families, and America. Thank you very much.
uh, but I don't know if I would have been so hasty because what you want to do is you want to, to show, you know, that you're in charge, that you have force and all the rest of it. But I think that I probably, even before that thing, just would have closed the book <laughs> and said, um, excuse me, uh, I got to put on my presidential pants and left. Once we left, once I left, I would have left entirely um, and talked to my advisors, uh, military, economic, all the rest of it. Try to figure out what was going on before making a statement um, and perhaps stopping things before it happened so that I wouldn't uh, be giving a speech while there was that's, other things happening. While it's happening. still going on. Yeah. That's, what's, that's what I didn't like. I felt, first off, I mean, obviously, it, uh, it looks like almost a gymnasium of the school. I don't know what section of the school was in that he gave this address from, but this press release, it's it's weird because, of the course, the setting is strange, but there's nothing he can do about that. But And then there's, like, people standing up. Like I think the press literally yells, like, down in front, which was just an awkward yeah. thing to yell at a presidential address to the nation. Yeah. Um, it And they clapped for him, which... I also, also thought weird. was awkward yeah. and weird. Um, but guess we're judgmental. I don't I know. know right? Give us your judgments on this in the comments. But just like a debate has been commonly in place about what President Bush did immediately following. And I do find it interesting that his first thought was to address the public like a PR move almost and not to go and figure out what is what's going on right now. Like, mm-hmm. are we at war? Is this radicals, which it was, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, uh, you know. What, what is, what's the state? What is the current state what's of what's cur- going on? Yeah. yeah. So uh, rather than just flapping my gums, I'd try to figure out something and maybe try to stop it. But, you know, if Mark was there, <laughs> if he was president. <laughs> if Mark had been president, I'm sure we should ask Mark what he would have done in this as same situation. As president. Yeah. If you'd been president. All at- I know is that there would have been a lot of blood in that Oval Office. <laughs> <laughs> In 926, the FAA would finally issue its national ground stop. All civilian aircraft was ordered. You're on the ground, not taking off. Yet, no one was ordered out of the area. That hadn't happened yet. Which, by the way, um, as of the time of recording this about a week ago, the second time ever in history that happened. But it was from a a system glitch. It wasn't from... That was crazy. Grounded, yeah. Yeah. Um, We think. But of course, this wouldn't stop that plane from hitting the Pentagon just minutes later. So next week we will be diving. Or we okay. So this I'm thinking is going to be coming out the following Wednesday from our first episode, if we're lucky. If we're lucky. If it's not high at our normal every other Wednesday, but this seems more like a mini sode. This was very short compared to our first one. I think I can get it together and get it posted by Wednesday. The next one might be a little bit longer, mm. um, looking into a little bit more. And so that might be the next Wednesday, every other Wednesday, like we're planning on doing here. But I want to get content out to you as much as possible. So if I am able to, I will be editing and putting it out as soon as possible. I did want to say um, something that killed me in researching this and looking at, like this is what really sent me over the edge. Um, Christine, who passed away on that flight, that two-year-old, and there were a couple other children on that flight, too. Mm. Her little Peter Rabbit, um, it wasn't on the plane with her. It was given as a gift from her grandmother to the 9-11 Memorial Museum, which I highly recommend you visit if you are ever in New York. It's, it's fascinating. It's upsetting. But it is wild to walk into something that, uh, for a lot of us millennials and, and older, we lived through it. We watched it happen. And to go through that memorial and see... The events of the day physically in front of you, and you need a full day, 
by the way, you will need to arrive at open and schedule that time out because there is so much in that Memorial Museum. But her Peter Rabbit is there and it still has two Winnie the Pooh stickers that she stuck on them. She loved, I guess her grandmother said she loved to give little stickers of approval to her stuffed animals. <laughs> and he but got two. He got two. Did a good job, apparently. He did. Yeah. But next week we'll be talking about the Pentagon um, and that's going to be a Marcus, a Marcus episode with his little tinfoil hat over here. We will be clear, of course, on yeah. what is fact and what is his little conspiracy corner. We didn't have many of those this episode. No, I put them on twice, twice at the beginning and then once there. But uh, <laughs> to take it off, it won't be, it won't be all conspiracy. There will be, we'll go over the the main beats of the day, and then we'll actually get into into conspiracy about do, what might have happened. of course, want to talk about what was going on inside the towers because there's a lot of really fascinating stories um, from the inside of the two towers. But for Alrighty. now, we'll see you next, next, next week. Next, next week. Next, next week? Next, next week. Next, Mark next it off week. on your calendars. Yeah. Okay. Take the day off work. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bye. See you guys.